Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds podcast. Today, my guest is John Tillman from the American Culture Project. John had a fascinating op-ed over at Real Clear Markets recently about the opportunity for conservatives um, to make inroads, um, maybe at this point I should say further inroads, uh, into uh, working class America, uh, because in many ways, uh, the conservative movement, or at least the Republican Party, is becoming a working class party. Um, and that includes inroads among um, uh, racial groups, for instance, uh, Latinos, who uh, were not thought of as plausible members of the conservative coalition. John, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you, Jerry, and I'm excited to talk about this topic. I think it goes to the core of our country and who America is. I just saw a poll quite recently from the Wall Street Journal that uh, indicated Republicans picking up um, a lot of support among ethnic minorities, particularly Latinos. And in their particular poll, within five percentage points, uh, at least when we're measuring, um, uh, you know, intention for how to vote in the uh, congressional elections. That's amazing. I mean, something is happening now. It's happening at a rapid pace and it's happening now. What is happening? What's going on? There are several factors. I think the first and most important factors is that uh, people, whether they're Hispanic, African-American, a single woman, somebody who may be gay, whatever the case might be, any, whatever makes someone unique, it actually turns out their life situation with their family, their community, uh, their economic situation, that is more important to them than some artificial group identity that has been foisted upon them by some liberal uh, progressive white person living in the North Shore of Chicago suburbs. People actually care more about their life situation, identify more with their life situation than these group identity uh, names that have been assigned to them. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think uh, it was Chico Marx who said, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? I mean, we, <laughs> yeah. they, go, they go shop, they fill up their gas tank, uh, they go to a PTA meeting, uh, they see the reality of what hardcore leftism is doing when it gets a hold of institutions. They send their kids off to colleges and they get kids back who are really different than the ones they sent. And I don't yes. just mean more knowledgeable. I don't just mean their calculus game is, is improved. Um, uh, and uh, they see the reality of it. And even if they might have preferred pronouns and have all the signs and, all, you know, even if the, whatever the cause of the day, they change their Facebook profile for it or whatever, when, it, they, when they see the actual lived reality of institutions captured by coercive utopians, they say, I've had enough. I'm not, I'm not going for this. Yeah, and I think the, the reason for that, going back to uh, the original question, is we're all sort of amazed that this trend line is going on in the country on the one hand. On the other hand, there's been proof in the past that this is possible. George W. Bush, whatever you may have thought of his presidency, when he was reelected in 2004, he got 44% of the Hispanic vote. He did very well as governor of Texas with a Hispanic vote. Governor Abbott in Texas has done very well. I think um, Governor DeSantis has done very well, and there are many others. This has gone on all over the country. When when a a conservative, in this case Republican, political actors take the time to invest energy, 
empathy, understanding, listen, and be responsive to uh, minorities, whether it's African-Americans, but especially with Hispanics, they respond because the message of conservatism and free markets and the opportunity society resonates with people, particularly Hispanics who uh, either they themselves or their um, parents or grandparents or great-grandparents came here for a great opportunity. You know, Jerry, we did a, a bunch of research on this, focus groups as well as some uh, quantifiable uh, survey uh, research work on a variety of groups, including Hispanics. And the one thing that came across was they're very, very proud of their heritage. They want their heritage to be respected. They want it to be seen. And I think all of us, of course, would agree with that. We all want to be seen for who we are as individuals, whether you're black, brown or white, male or female, gay or straight. But the most important thing they wanted was opportunity, a chance to live out their version of the American dream right here. And I think that's why we're seeing this movement, because they see that the Biden administration is harming that opportunity and they're looking for an alternative. Well, you know, um, Hispanic Latino um, citizens are a very aspirational class, a very aspirational ethnic group. Now, not in some sense, right. everyone is, but some are more than others. Right. And the idea right. of coming here, you know, across a border whether legally or illegally, different question, but whatever, right. you, don't, you, don't, you don't do it if you're lazy. <laughs> you don't do it unless right. you're trying to make your life better. Of course, we want people to follow the law, but we'll just, just leave that one aside for a moment. It's aspirational. Uh, Latinos join the middle class very quickly. They join the military. They, they're really buying into you know, the American dream at a very high level. And so a victimization party um, is going to kind of be at odds with that. The you can't possibly make it on your own unless we take from somebody and give it to you and pat you on the head. And of course, you have to vote for us in order to do that. We'll take right. care of you. That doesn't sit well, I think, with aspirational groups. I think that's exactly correct. I think uh, uh, on the African-American side, look at the success of West Africans emigrating to the United States, particularly Nigerians, among the highest performing uh, both in terms of educational attainment, economic success, Nigerians do extremely well. And so the core point there is what you just said, Jerry, it's aspiration, people who are seeking opportunity. And the, the think about what the other side's argument is, the left's argument. Their argument, and it's a seductive one for many people, particularly people who are struggling, but their argument is that whatever calamity is happening in your life is not your fault. You're a victim. You used that word earlier, and I think it's spot on. You're a victim. You're a victim of rapacious capitalism and free markets. You're a victim of this idea of the individual being sovereign and the the, the sort of um, uh, worship of the idea of individuality that the country, this country has that has made it amazing. Uh, you know, individuality, by the way, does not mean we all are on little islands. Individuality is that individuals come together voluntarily and form groups of people to accomplish amazing things. Right. That's the whole point of this country, and we do it through persuasion. The other side does it through coercion, and there's a huge difference there. And people that are coming across that border, <clears throat> excuse me, people that are coming across that border understand that difference between persuasion and coercion. Yeah, and by the way, I think I should point <clears throat> out there doesn't seem to be any group, any class, any ethnicity um, in the United States that doesn't have at least, you know, some victimist, um, a, a, you know, a kind of political appeal being made to it. So. Uh, you know, I, I'm, we can talk about uh, conservatives like to talk about, you know, say African-American victimism, et cetera. There's a fair amount of of white victimism out there and grievance politics as well. I mean, any group can fall into the idea if something's going wrong for me, somebody did it to yeah. me rather than and that's get out of my way. I, I my family and I and my friends and my church or my synagogue 
we can get this done. We're not asking you to give it to us. We're asking you to let us do it. Victimism is uni- can be universal, is my point. Absolutely. And that's why the left has chosen it as one of their core tenets of how they try to achieve political power. Because as I was saying a moment ago, they're their whole case is that whatever calamity has happened to you, whether you're black, brown or white, gay or straight, tall or short, fat or skinny, whatever's happened to you, it's not your fault. And only the government can come in as a fair arbiter of what's right and wrong and properly allocate resources and opportunity. That is their argument. And if you're struggling and want to buy into that victim mentality that all people have, all of us have a little bit of that, right? The the higher, better nature of ourselves versus the other. Uh, We all have that, as you're pointing out. And that's what makes the left's argument so seductive, but also so appallingly immoral, in my view, and why we who believe in an opportunity society, we who believe in the founding principles of the individual being sovereign over their own life and their government, and we who think that aspiration is a beautiful thing and watching it be achieved Mm -hmm. is incredible. And the part about the American dream, I think, that people lose sight of, Jerry, is it's not the destination. It's not the end of the rainbow. It's the journey on your way to the rainbow that is the actual dream. And that's what has made the American miracle so attractive to bring people over our southern border, our northern border, through the east and west coast and everywhere in between. I guess um, the point I'm making is that it's mostly the left, but not exclusively the left. I'm seeing a form of right-wing criticism of market operations and the free society tied to a victimist narrative that basically capitalism is making it impossible for you to have a good family life. Uh, p- capitalism is, make, is the reason that all these bad things are happening, that we have, uh, you know, ODs and everything. There's something coming from some sectors of the political right. Some of it is tapping into medieval political thought or it's, that, it's all sorts of versions that are tapping into it that are, they seem to be every bit as hostile to free economic institutions as what's coming from the left. In some ways, they're similar to the left in the constant criticism of, you know, business and business, um, you know, business. I want business and free market environment, business and competition. I'm not pro-business, I'm pro-free market. But opposed to market operations, opposed to economic growth, they're seen as somehow liquidating or disrupting family life. So we have our own version. It's smaller, but we have our own version of this going on, I think, on the conservative side as well. Yeah, I wrote about that a little bit in our uh, in my piece on Real Clear uh, Markets because I'm very concerned about people on the right who just want to use the government for different things. They still kind of want markets, but they want the government to weigh in and, and make uh, a regulatory or uh, tax code decisions that will make it a little bit better. I have been stunned by how many people on the right have embraced the idea of universal basic income. Uh, which is just a, a, a version of what you just said, but on, on, on steroids. And the reason the idea of, of the government coming in on the market side and, and regulating more heavily to achieve, say, family dynamics that somebody that deems appropriate uh, or universal basic income, that's capitulation to the idea that the commanding heights of government, the elite decision makers, know better than individuals and collectively the masses of individuals who form a society right. know better about how to make decisions for their for their community and family life. That's insanity and it's capitulation. It's surrender. And that's why we have to fight it every step of the way, Jerry. And do we really think that if we cooperate with the left in growing the power of the state, it will enforce, you know, traditional moral codes or in, enforce virtue? I mean, honestly, if, if we if we join in structurally and grow a bigger government, do we think it's going to be on our side when it's shaping our vision and shaping our sense of morality? I, I don't. I think socialism aligns itself with kind of revolutionary ethics 
uh, almost automatically. I just don't see it reinforcing the traditional moral code. No, I don't think we'll, we'll look back at uh, uh, Leninist or Stalinist Russia or North Korea or certainly what's going on in China presently and think that the communists uh, have a great deal of love for family formation in the family unit. They're, and the reason they don't is because also, in the end, socialism is a coercive system. Uh, it is an intolerant system and is an authoritarian system. And the family is the basic unit of rebellion against it. And that is why they want to destroy it. Yes, um, it's the unit of rebellion against it. And in a addition, it's a rival to it because socialism is a family in the sense that socialism takes the family model and applies it to the nation. So who needs mom and dad and uncle and aunt and niece and nephew and grandchild? Who needs little families when we're all one family? Yes. And you can see that this is their goal. People are saying, oh, that could never happen here. That's not really what they want to do. They just want to take care of people. Yes, they want literally, uh, you know, uh, pre, pre-K uh, daycare funded by the government. They want your children from the moment you want to hand them off. And it's very enticing to many tired parents who have their second or third child and are struggling to work to want to hand them off. Right. And then they, get, they give them back to you, as you pointed out uh, earlier, fully indoctrinated through the propaganda machine that is the educational system and is our government into a different, you know, they're changelings when they come back at 18 years old or 22 years old out of college. My daughter's now uh, 23. I'm very grateful she survived that process and did not get changed. But not every parent can say that. You know, there's something interesting uh, that I note in your op-ed, you talk about the the real gains that um, conservatives have made, particularly among Latino voters, but not just Latino voters. And what's fascinating about that is, as you pointed out, George W. Bush also made some significant gains. But what's surprising is George W. Bush was a compassionate conservative. Um, He was sort of centrist compared to a lot of the Republican Party. He was pressing for immigration reform. I don't want to have that argument right now. I know there are some people who want a wall and there are other people who want, you know, let's just leave all that aside. He represents the wing of the party that was more pro-immigration, more let's make immigration easier, maybe have some, you know, partial amnesty, whatever. Um, So, okay, so that's one set, that's that's one approach. Then you have the rise of Trump, not the same wing of the party, you know, build a wall, uh, make America great again, some maybe ill-conceived ways of putting some things about who Mexicans, you know, who the Mexican government says here. You know, it didn't sound, he's the, he's the other wing. I mean, basically the primary election was largely around immigration, later other issues. But the point is, in both cases, they, they picked up Latino support, which is suggestive right. that your theory is right, which is it's not the ideology and it's not even the way they talk. It's the lived reality. Of, right. of what it is to be live under high inflation and low growth, whether it's Obama or Biden, or what it is to right. live under low inflation in high, high growth, whether it's George W. Bush or Donald Trump, people just want to get ahead. They want their pay to go up faster than their grocery bill. And, you know, and they'll put up with different kind of rhetoric from politicians just so long as their lived experience is getting better. This is such an important point, and it, it is really, I think, where, where what our 21st century destiny is going to be as a country is that we need to bring people together by their lived reality, not by these artificial construct of group identity politics. You know, diversity used to mean 
that we all from different backgrounds came together from all over the world to come to America to pursue the American dream in the singular melting pot. It brought diversity used to mean people coming together into the melting pot. Today, the left has turned diversity into division, separation, siloing, uh, and uh, resentment of other groups. It's insanity. And I think that what we're seeing today is people don't like that. And the research we've done, people overwhelmingly, black, brown, or white, Democrat, Republican, independent, everybody rejects that notion. Yet that is what largely the left is running on is this idea of resentment politics based on your identity. If you wanna know about the lived reality, Next time you go to put gas in your pump, and I'm sure, Jerry, when you go fill up your car, you put your credit card in the slot and you fill it up, even though gas might be 4 or $5 a gallon. But before you do that, I recommend you look at the pump screen before you put your money in. Look at the pump next to you. Look at the one around the side. I've been doing an informal survey now for a number of weeks. The number of people that are putting in, in prepaying cash, $5, $10, and $15 is skyrocketed. It used to be you never saw somebody prepay with $5 cash, $10 cash, or $15 cash. You might see 20 occasionally. They're not, they're not filling There's, up, you're saying. My point is exactly they're that. Rationing. People are coming in. Yes, this happened a couple of years ago before today's gas prices. A woman pulled up next to me with her adult son. He gets out to go in and prepay. I've put my credit card in, and I, you know, I feel grateful for that. I'm filling up my tank. She's right on the other side of the pump, and he stops. He takes a few steps, and he says, Mom, how much? That woman stood there for about a two-second count. She goes, let's do 20. This is the lived reality. And that gas pump doesn't care if you're black, if you're Hispanic, right. if you're white, if you're married, if you're single. All it knows is that you could, you only were able to put in $20 or $10 or $5. That is what's bringing people together again, whether you're a Mexican immigrant, a Nigerian immigrant, a Polish immigrant, or an American that came here uh, decades and decades ago. That's, I, I think, what are, what's gonna bring us back together. And no matter what she did four years ago, or four years before that, or two years ago, that is very much a potential conservative voter now. Um, exactly, exactly, because that lived reality trumps whatever label they want to put on you. And I think that's what is terrible, what's going on in people's lives every day right now. But it's exciting because, you know, we uh, the, the left has the commanding heights of our American cultural narrative. You know, the name of our organization is American Cultural Project. And uh, they still control much of that. But despite all of their advantages in uh, controlling the American narrative, it's all still getting through because, as you have said, lived reality can't be avoided. And yeah. that's why I think in the end I'm optimistic. And, and we've talked about um, different ethnic groups, not as much about you know class. I mean, I, I live here in western Pennsylvania in the Pittsburgh area, not just in the Pittsburgh area. I'm down in the Mon Valley Sort of the, awesome. the the buckle, uh, you know, Steel Valley area. Yeah. Um, so all around the neighborhood, I can tell you, um, very democratic area, very democratic voting area. A lot of union members, just Trump signs, or interesting, Is that right? Strong, a lot of anti-Biden signs. Some of them rather. Oh, that's fascinating. Ra rather, um, how, how can I put it? Colorful, uh, colorful, <laughs> colorful, um, profane. <laughs> Uh, angry, uh, you know, yeah. anti-Biden signs in a part of the world. So that's, and that's not just this electoral cycle. That's, um, you know, that was the, uh, that was the last presidential electoral cycle and the, the one before, although before people were little, they didn't quite know whether they could put the signs out. But then once right. there were a few signs, then there was a preference cascade. By the way, I'm not arguing for Trump or against Trump. All I'm saying is I see something going on in the lived reality of my neighbors who would not automatically be Republican voters by a long shot. Um, and that is working class communities going 
they might not call it even conservative. You know, populist conservative is a brand that they're attracted to. Um, so something is happening. And I guess what you're trying to do is just accelerate that and maybe create institutions and functions and structures to get more of that um, and yes. to, to help independent voters make that journey over to conservative voting. That's exactly what we're trying to do, because, you know, I never cared for the term compassionate conservatism that you mentioned regarding George W. Bush earlier, because it's a it's a concession that we shouldn't be making. Conservatism is the, you know, the founding principles of this country and free enterprise are the greatest force ever created in the human sphere to improve the human condition for everybody, but especially for the poor and disadvantaged. There's no way anywhere, no system anywhere else in the world that's ever been created that helps the poor rise faster than our system. And we need to champion that. And I, the reason people are still coming over that border, again, whether illegally or legally, is because they know that truth in their hearts. And it's amazing to me that so many of our elites on the left in academia and corporate communications departments have all lost sight of that. That's why we need to fight to get that narrative out there. Well, they crossed a border. Let's talk about the legal immigrants. They crossed a border to get here. And now we're just helping them cross another border from, uh, you know, from allegiance to the Democratic Party and the liberal agenda, who's told them that they'll make their lives better, to allegiance to a conservative philosophy, which actually can make their lives better. They're border so crossers, so there would be no surprise we can get them to cross that border as well. What I think is fascinating about what's going on uh, in general in the sort of the body politic over the last several years, and I think it's going to continue for the next several years, is people have complained for a long time that the Repub Republican Party does a terrible job of outreach to minorities. Uh, and women. And yet in the uh, 2020 and now in the 2022, and I think in the 2024 cycle, there will be the most diverse, interesting uh, 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 black, brown and female collection of candidates running as Republicans. And the interesting part of it is it's not that the party apparatus really did a whole lot to make that happen. It's that those people chose that party as the embodiment of what they actually believed and matched up with their values. Yes. And that in and of itself, the candidates choosing the party are what's actually changing the party. And the reason that's important is because in 1976, there were 818,000 Hispanics that voted in the presidential election. In 2020, there were 20.6 million. Wow. In 1976, there were 7.1 million African Americans that voted in that election. There were about 20.7 million that voted in 2020. So what we're seeing is the maturation of those voters coming back to their values politically as well as in their lived life. Interesting. I mean, they're, they're entrepreneurial candidates. You know, exactly. minorities and courageous. Say, yes, right. Because the flack they get, and and, oh. and and part of that also is Republican primary voters saying, "Okay, you say that we're racist. You say that we're sexist. You say that we're whatever. Let let us let me show you what, what we're going to show you what we really are. We are perfectly happy to have an African American woman." representing the conservative cause. So Republican primary voters have to, they have to be gutsy enough to take that chance, entrepreneurial to put themselves on, uh, you know, um, in play for the election. And the Republican voters, primary voters have been willing to say, yes, we're fine because yep. we're a party of ideas. We're not a party of race or, or demographics. That's exactly right. And, you know, that's always, always amusing to me that it was uh, the Democrat party in the South that blocked and filibustered against the civil rights act in 1964 and it was the majority of Republicans that actually helped pass that uh, act in 1964. And then when the South went through its transition, it's the Republican Party that purged the racism out of those former Democrats and made them good civil rights loving Republicans, so much so that the former 
highest concentration of slaves uh, pre-Civil War, South Carolina, just elected Tim Scott again. Yes, that's that's your modern Republican Party. It's a great it, story. It, isn't that marvelous? That should be proud of it. It's amazing. And, and of course, had Nikki Haley, too. Yes. You know, South Carolina, the heart of the South, the first state to fire on the union, uh, elected Tim Scott and Nikki Haley. I think it's a great example. And Nikki of, Haley took on the so, Confederate flag, too. Absolutely. And did a beautiful job that respected both sides on that argument because there's that sentiment on the one side. Yeah, she did what was right and took away the and and, and fixed what was a a, a very evil symbol for so many people. Yeah, I'm very excited. You can actually hold both those thoughts. Yeah, you can. That's right. You can say, I understand the affinity. I understand that I understand the heritage. We and but I can also understand that there's an evil part of that heritage. And what does Aristotle right. say that the ability to entertain different thoughts at the same time is that's right. the, kind of the definition of intelligence. Both things can be true at the same time. And you can Absolutely. say, oh, Jeff, um, Lee was fighting for an unjust cause. So what are we going to do? We're going to change the names of thousands of schools and we're going to tear down buildings. One can both of those things can be true at the same time. And grownups and again, lived reality. People know that's the case only in in. In ideological thinking, do you have to reduce things down to just that one thing? All right. So the the American Conservative Project, you do a lot American, of work. American Culture oh, I, Project. I'm sorry. Yes. yes. Sorry. That's all right. American that's Culture right. Project. Um, and uh, that's the name of the what You can Google that. You can find the website. Google I, that. I, you'll find us. Yep. Uh, AmericanCulture.org. You'll find us there. And um, uh, we'd love to have people come and sign up and learn about what we're doing. We really believe in retaking the commanding heights of American culture from the left. We don't have to get parity with them. We just have to compete a little bit. And if we do so, uh, we think good things are going to happen for the country and our 21st century destiny will be uh, bright and sunny. John Tillman from the American Culture Project, thanks for being with us on Meeting of Minds. Thanks for having me, Jerry. 